Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS podcast. I'm Dr. Danielle Campaign, your American Ambulance's medical director. I'm here with our awesome two co-hosts, Dr. Sajan Bakta and Dr. Patil Armenian. Hi, everyone. Hello. And today we're going to be talking to Mr. Todd Valeri, the president and CEO of American Ambulance. Who serves a million people in the valley? We do. The brave men and women of the double A are the best at what they do in EMS today. The finest place in the world to be is right here as a part of American's family. Help is on the way, got a unit and route. No matter the problem, when in doubt, we send them out. Sure as the sunrise, sure as I bust this rhyme, 10 minutes or less. Every call, every time, this is my career path, this is what I do. The double A's, red, white, and blue. Get your call on. Here comes American. Get your lights on. Here comes American. Get your gurney on. Here comes American. Get your gloves on. Here comes American. Get your save on. Well, thank you, Todd, for being here today. And we just want to touch base with you and kind of talk about your involvement on a statewide level, your involvement locally, your involvement with the California Ambulance Association. So kind of tell us about all the things you're doing outside of running your company. Oh, my gosh. Um, Well, I'm the president of the California Ambulance Association, and I'm coming up for a second term on that. And I'm also a commissioner on the state EMS commission. So within the California Ambulance Association, which is uh, predominantly a volunteer organization, um, my role is to lead various committees and try and move forward the agenda of private sector EMS and what we have to offer in the communities that we serve, uh, which is a um, tremendous amount of work focusing on legislative advocacy, uh, clinical best practices, Um, And just really an opportunity to share ideas with other ambulance providers. The State EMS Commission role is an advisory group to the California State EMS Commission, and we focus on regulations, policy, um, and all things EMS. Now, can you tell us about your past? Tell us like uh, where you started, uh, kind of your pathway to get into EMS, and um, uh, where, where you see EMS going. Wow. Uh, How much time do we have here? (laughs) This could take a while. Actually, you know, my story in EMS is like the butterfly effect. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's a concept that maybe a butterfly in Brazil could be flapping its wings and a couple of weeks later stir a hurricane or tornado in Texas. So it's uh, an example of small um, things that have occurred in my life that put me on this path. And I consider myself very fortunate and, uh, and blessed to be where I am. But it certainly didn't start out here. As a teenager, I was a high school dropout. And I'll tell you a, a story of how I got connected with EMS, because that's relevant here. Um, I had a job as a dishwasher in a local coffee shop. And I had just turned 18. And a buddy of mine was turning 18 on a weekend. And we were looking, a group of, uh, a group of us were looking for something to do. And, uh, one of the guys came up with the idea of driving to Pismo Beach on a Friday night. And I had to work the next morning, so I chose not to go. And sadly, my friends got in an accident and one of them was killed. A couple days later, or maybe about a week later, I was going to go to the funeral and I didn't have a car and a friend of mine was driving and we were early for the funeral and he suggested that we stop off at 7-Eleven to get big gulps. So we stopped off at the 7-Eleven at McKinley and Fresno Street and when I went in there uh, to get my soda, I noticed a security guard standing next to the soda fountain 
And being kind of a jerk kid, I uh, I was asking him, hey, what's it like being a security guard? And he said, I'm not a security guard. I'm an EMT. I said, an EMT? What does that mean? He says, well, I work on an ambulance. I said, oh my gosh, you must have gone to school for a long time for that. He said, well, I did have to go to school, but it's something that you can get involved in in a semester class. I was immediately intrigued. And he uh, said, tell you what, let me give you my name and phone number. And he grabbed a matchbook uh, cover off of the counter. And back in those days, they had matchbooks there. And he wrote down his name and phone number. And he said, call me tomorrow and I'll explain to you how to become an EMT. So had I not been in that set of circumstances, I wouldn't have been put on this path. So uh, I I went to class, became an EMT, and uh, started in the ambulance business in Armona, California, which is in Kings County, and it's now part of our service area. And uh, I worked there for a couple of years. I'm originally from Massachusetts. So at 21, I had moved back to Massachusetts and worked there for about six months on an ambulance. And uh, you know, Fresno was um, just part of who I was. It's where my friends were. And it's kind of like a virus. Once it gets in you, it's kind of hard to get rid of it. So uh, I came back to Fresno kind of on a whim. And before I did, I picked up the phone and I called a local ambulance company, Clovis Ambulance, and they put me in touch with an EMT who's going to go to paramedic school. And it was Bob Adams, our HR director, believe it or not. And uh, we had a great conversation and literally um, on a whim next day, I, uh, I came back to California. Um, I applied for American Ambulance and was not hired and began trying to get into paramedic school. And I, I, I was fortunate. I was able to get into paramedic school and uh, um, that put me on this path. And shortly thereafter, I was hired by American Ambulance. That's 20, a very cool story. 21 yeah. years old. Yeah. yeah. Really got 7-Eleven to thank for <laughs> your future. <laughs> Something like that. So uh, at 20, it, it, I wasn't necessarily the strongest paramedic student. I really didn't, didn't have great experience. So it was very difficult for me to transition to being a field paramedic. And um, I almost flunked out. It was, uh, it was very, very close. And I had a wonderful preceptor who uh, took me under his wing and really showed me the ropes and helped me connect what was in my head to my hands and uh, um, put me on the right trajectory in being a paramedic. I will also say that during my paramedic training, I was assigned to a nurse during clinical rotation, and 30 years later, we're still married. So... (laughs) That's it's fantastic. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Very neat story. Because um, we think, I feel like a lot of other traditional stories are like they always knew they wanted to get into paramedicine or always knew they wanted to be in the medical side somehow. And that's really neat. Very inspiring. And how people reaching out and sharing their story really helped morph yeah. um, your future. So it just shows. Well, I uh, I would have been happy to work as a paramedic for my entire life. I, I really, really enjoyed that work. I became a paramedic in 1985, and by 1990, I had worked my way up in administration. And uh, with my wife's encouragement, I had gone back to school, and I got a degree in business um, and worked my way up into the organization and uh, started grad school and got an MBA. And uh, in, oh gosh, 1993, American Ambulance had been on a contract for the city of San Diego, and we won. And most of, well, I think the smart guys in management uh, all went to San Diego, because after all, it is San Diego. 
And uh, here I was, 30 years old, a freshly minted MBA, and the owners of the company offered me the job as general manager to run the business. And I was completely unqualified and made plenty of mistakes. And thankfully, they had the temperament to allow me to make those mistakes and learn from them and to uh, become a, hopefully a better leader as a result. And and that was uh, back in 1993 and have been in a role in leadership in this company ever since. This place was started by four guys, really two guys, Jim Kaufman and Larry Warden. They were the best men you could ever meet. They really gave me an opportunity to grow and to make mistakes and to learn and to um, become a better leader and I think really a better person. And uh, they shared the same passion I do for American Ambulance and wanted it to be sustainable for future EMS professionals um, and to really be a place that we could all call home and that the family would continue. And it was their plan to um, give me an opportunity to buy in. And I remember the day that they called me in their office and they said, you know, if you can come up with this absurd amount of money, we will sell you a portion of this business and we'll put you on a path to to owning it. Oh my gosh, I think I, I, I leveraged uh, everything down to my shoelaces um, to actually borrow enough money to, to buy into this place. And, you know, subsequently, uh, Larry Ward died the next year and Jim Kaufman died the following year. And um, heartbreaking for me, um, because I love those men very much. And I think that they were pioneers in EMS. Uh, I hope that uh, their legacy is alive and well, and that they're proud of what's being done here with this company. Oftentimes, I just see it as I'm the custodian of the keys. Um, but uh, I take it I take it very seriously, including the legacy and the history of what they built in this organization. And you know, here I've I've been an owner of this organization for 11 years, and I'm 57 years old. Uh, I think I've got a lot of tread left on the tires, and uh, uh, I am tend to see this organization continue to grow and um, be a quality organization we can all be proud of. So I, I will share one story that was kind of fun. In 2006, I think it was, Rick Carvalho and I, literally 20 years after we'd gone to paramedic school, decided to become paramedics again. Because that is the foundation of this industry in my mind is being a field provider, being a line employee, whether it be a dispatcher, EMT, paramedic, or um, a medical biller or support person. That's really the essence of what this company and this industry is about and what I knew was being a paramedic. So 20 years after going to paramedic school, I went back, took national registry, did a little internship, um, got evaluated, became solo, ran a single call as a solo paramedic, and never did it again. But I just <laughs> wanted to be sure that I hadn't lost that perspective. I'm not sure I'm going to do that again. But much has changed since those early times being a paramedic. And uh, I will say, clinically, there were a lot of changes. Back in the 80s, we had to ask for orders to do practically anything and everything. Defibrillation required a base hospital order. Um, starting IVs. Running a cardiac arrest victim would probably take five minutes of radio traffic before you could actually do an intervention. Um, and that, that changed over time. But the things that we thought that mattered most then, in many cases, have been refuted. 
based on data. And that's probably the biggest change in EMS is how we've applied data. For example, uh, we used to give sodium bicarbonate to um, indiscriminately to cardiac arrest victims. Um, if it was an unwitnessed arrest, they got a you know an amp of bicarb. I think it might have been two, if I if I remember right. We uh, spinal immobilization was on just about every motor vehicle accident. Tourniquets were uh, seen as a bad thing. It's so quickly, so quickly things changed. It's so um, funny how now it's like tourniquet everything, and then it's like don't tourniquet anybody. So. Absolutely, and um, who knows? Maybe a lot of those things like shock pants and um, you know EOAs will come back in favor again. So I don't even know what an EOA stands for. Esophageal obturator airway. Oh, and uh, and <laughs> what it was, Doctor Campaign, is it was a tube that uh, um, had a balloon on it, and it would occlude the esophagus. And it had a face mask attached, so you would have to make a seal with that. And then it had ports or holes that were directly above uh, the trachea. So Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you for sharing that perspective. Um, now, how do you see EMS changing in the future? What's your, or maybe more, what's your vision for your company? Oh, okay. Well, as far as EMS in general, I think my crystal ball is no more clear than anybody's. It's uh, it's opaque. So much of what we do is driven by the antiquated reimbursement systems in, in this country. Um, there's a misalignment of incentives under fee-for-service. Um, there's really little room for innovation. And those are challenges for our industry to move to move forward. Uh, I was very excited to see concepts like community paramedicine, which is uh, an ill-defined term, I think, to many. It, I think for me, it means doing something that paramedics don't traditionally do. But even with that, there are so many impediments to reimbursement, and the incentives are all tied to the transport function that it really impedes just progress and innovation. So it's going to be a, a tough slog moving EMS forward. And it may require radical disruption, perhaps an entity outside of our industry, uh, forcing us to look at things like innovation within the triage function, utilizing advice nurses, telemedicine, I think, could have a real role. But until the reimbursement component comes in line with that, it's, it's going to continue to be an uphill fight. Um, for our own company, I'm passionate about American Ambulance. I love this organization. I absolutely love the people who choose to work here and to be my co-workers. It's a noble profession. Think about this. When somebody calls for our help, we're the answer to their prayer. That is an awesome responsibility. And what an amazing opportunity to impact somebody's life. And I often tell people, there are four of us here in the room right now. Uh, I could ask each of us to describe what our standard is for dialing 911. And I'd come up with four different answers. But one thing would be common. We would have a situation that we felt we couldn't handle on our own. And what a great opportunity to come into somebody's home or their environment and play that role. And to that end, I think it's just a, a beautiful, noble profession. And I, I support it. It's uh, Frankly, it's my passion. It's my hobby, too. Work is something I, I really enjoy because it's, it's, it's not work. And I see so much progress and so much progress for the organization and so much progress in the lives of people who work here that it's easy to get very, very excited about. 
So my role is to try and push the needle forward as an organization. And we focus on what's called the triple aim. And you may be familiar with it. It's uh, developed by the Institute for Healthcare Improvement maybe seven or eight years ago, where the focus of healthcare organizations need to be improvements in care, health, and lower cost. And care is the experience of the patient, um, sort of the high touch, um, customer service. Better health is an improvement in outcome. And as you know, in EMS, that can be very difficult to measure and very difficult to prove, but that doesn't mean we don't try. And then the last point is lower cost. And uh, I, I could go on and on about the economics of this business. It's, uh, it's, it's unique. Um, it's complicated and it's incredibly frustrating. I will tell you. But in addition to externally the organization focusing on on that triple aim, my focus is internally on our workforce. And I want to promote an environment that uh, supports employees' physical, mental, and financial health. And many of the initiatives that we take on as an organization are tied directly to those three outcomes. It's hard to know when you're moving the needle, but uh, I think that I can see anecdotally some uh, some palpable differences in people's lives, and um, hopefully we can be a small part in that. So, well, I yeah. think you notice that by the number of people who've worked for American Amos for so many years, right? Nobody wants to leave this great company. It is a family, right? It so you allow yourself to, you know, stay, be a part of that family, and I think they feel that connection. Um, yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I just want to say thank you for all of your passion and your efforts in this community. We definitely all feel the effect of, you know, being taken care of through our EMS system. So thank you. I just had a question on on the more of a bigger scale in your California Ambulance Association role. What kind of things are you working on? What are your main goals or, or focus on for the next few years in terms of the the overarching picture? Well, with the California Ambulance Association, I'll speak directly to that. Uh, we've been in a rebuilding mode throughout my initial term as president of the organization. Uh, we now have approximately 50 members, which I think provides a diverse representation, not only geographically, but in terms of scope. We're seeing many more IFT providers involved, not just 911 services. I'd like to see that association operate in less of a silo and more as a collaborator, specifically with our public sector partners, uh, California Fire Chiefs Association, and have made some good relationships with that group, California Hospital Association, because there are probably more issues that we have in common than differences. And I'd like to focus on the positive and leverage our individual strengths to achieve some uh, some improvements. One area I'd particularly like to see improvement is ambulance patient offload delays. It is arguably the single most uncontrollable cost of this organization. For American Ambulance alone, it's to the tune of $4 million a year in compensating for delays in ambulance patient offload. We need to make uh, improvement there, and there needs to be some effective solutions. And it might require regulation. And when I, when I say regulation, not so much focusing on requirements that perhaps hospitals can't even achieve, but to find ways that there could be improvement for reimbursement, recognition of the time that we're being 
um, held in hospitals and continuing to care for patients. And perhaps third-party payers might recognize that, which would allow for um, additional funding for our EMS system in general. And, uh, and we might be able to make improvement that way. I certainly don't see a draconian solution that, uh, you know, of unfun- additional unfunded mandates being effective. Uh, but that's an example of something I would like to see our association move the needle on, not just for our own members, not just for um, EMTs and paramedics who are affected by this. Ultimately, it's for patients uh, because they're the ones who um, have that experience of delays in care. I don't think any of our local hospital partners or any hospital provider um, wants to see those delays occur. They have their own issues of constraints. I don't profess to fully understand those. But I do think that in my capacity as this association president, I can be more of a collaborator and get more stakeholders to the table to hopefully brainstorm solutions that aren't so forceful, but maybe more effective. Great. Well, thank you so much for um, sharing your past and, and how you got to this point. And thank you for leading this great organization. Thank you very much. And thank you for what you're doing on this podcast. I really enjoy it. It's uh, Whenever it's published, I look forward to listening to it on my morning walks um, and coming in here and sharing ideas, uh, things I pick up from you. And uh, um, really, we're, we're grateful to have you. Thank you. If you guys like the American Ambulance EMS podcast and you feel like this has been useful for you, please give us a five-star review on the iTunes store so that we can move up in the ratings so that uh, other uh, pre-hospital professionals can listen to us as well. Um, And we're also taking any solicitations for ideas or or topics that you want covered, and you can email us anytime at podcast at americanambulance.com once again that's podcast at americanambulance.com thanks thank you for joining us on the american ambulance ems podcast produced by american ambulance in fresno california the views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of american ambulance or ucsf fresno the theme song for the show is written and performed by roshan roach the beats were created by young pear and brett schoenwald And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's media producer, saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.